everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown men watch every single episode of Nickelodeon's classic TV horror anthology show for kids, Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then, and then, we try to figure out if it's still scary. Hence the title of the show. I am one of your hosts, hailing from Nashville, Tennessee. My name is David Dykus. And I'm joined by my best friend, Eli Phillips. Hello, party people. Hello, party people. Eli, we have a special episode to talk about. I would go so far as to call it a very special episode. Oh, is that because of its very special guest? Uh, yeah. The As I alluded to last week, the skies were dark for all the stars were in the tail of Station 109.1. <laughs> yeah, but we'll have to get to that in a minute. We we will. Uh, before we do, I feel like the answer to this is going to be the same as it was last week. But Dykus, how you doing? Well, I'm actually doing a bit better than last week. I'm not quite as dead tired as I was when we talked about the tale of uh of the NWO or whatever the fuck it was. The the wavy symbol. The tale of the wavy symbol. Ah, yes. Doing better than I was then. I've just eaten some raw cookie dough, and it's going to give me the energy I need to power through this. I put it in the freezer, so it has the consistency of a normal cookie. <laughs> you just you just ate cold, regular cookie with salmonella. I have to slice it up like a salami. <laughs> have we ever talked on this show about the time we tried to bake an entire tube of cookie dough all at once? <laughs> I don't think we've talked about it on on air, but I've told many friends about our our attempt to make the cookie log. Yeah, anytime I show people old pictures, I show them the pictures uh, from your. Anytime I show them pictures of us from those final years of of like living in, in Murray, uh, I show them the cookie log, and I show them the picture I have of you trying to smoke a Pepperidge Farm pirouette like a cigar. Yep, <laughs> I did that. I don't know how food works <laughs> or cigars. Uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about some nude business. Yeah, some Nick news and other things. Some Nick news to, to lead us into our episode recap. Eli, what do you have for us this week? On the Nick news front, I've kind of got some exciting news. First of all, and this I think might have broke today. Today being uh, June the 26th. Yeah, the day of this recording, not the day that everyone's listening to it. But uh, uh, on June 27th, all sorts of articles have popped up about uh, Mark Summers did an interview with Tech Insider where he revealed the recipe for the original green slime that they used on his TV shows, What Would You Do? You Can't Do That on Television and Double Dare. Oh, shit. I just assumed that was locked in the like, Nickelodeon's big orange vault. I mean, it's not the exact ratios. but How it, do they make it green? Well, uh, I'll tell you, there's only one element that does that, and that's the green food coloring. Oh. Everything else in it is vanilla pudding, applesauce, and a little bit of oatmeal. Actually, it sounds pretty tasty. Yeah. Go for some green slime right about now. We should make and eat Nickelodeon slime, yeah. <laughs> Put some, dip some frozen cookie dough in it. Oh, man. There's a there's a video uh, from Tech Insider where they do an interview with Mark Summers, and he's talking about, um, he's talking about sort of the, he references the sort of modern trend of, of slime. I don't know if you know about this because you're not as up with the kids as I am, Dykus. Slime is a very popular thing, and so he references that. He says, you see all these videos on YouTube of, different recipes for how to make slime and he said and none of them are what we used to do and he talks about how even like new nickelodeon slime which is like neon green and and runnier is not the same as the the thick 
darker green slime that they had on the TV shows. So I thought that was interesting that all that came out today. That is an important bit of nude business. Uh, I, I encourage all of our listeners to try it at home and report back to us. Yeah, I want to see. I want I want everyone to to like link me their videos of them eating Mark Summers green slime. Yes, please, please. Let's let's <laughs> make this go viral. Uh, another thing is that uh, Nickelodeon released a teaser trailer for their Invader Zim movie, and I know you and I both referenced that we don't really give much of a shit about Invader Zim, that it was kind of after our time, and uh, not really our style anyway, but they are heavily promoting their Invader Zim movie, so there's a teaser trailer out for that that you can check out. Alright, we'll um, provide a link to it on our Facebook. Yep. Um, also, I don't think this news was out when last we recorded. Do you know the full name of the Rocco's Modern Life made-for-TV movie that's happening? Yes, I actually happened upon an article talking about it uh, just this past week. It's called Rocco's Modern Life, I think, Static Cling? Yep, Static Cling. Very excited to read about that. No trailer yet that I'm aware of, but uh, some details have emerged regarding uh, what the plot of the, of the Rocco movie is going to be. I love that it like keeps to the canon, doesn't it? Isn't that how the show ended? Yes, uh, the final canonical episode of season four had all the characters being launched into space. Yeah, and Static Cling will start with them returning from space, so they haven't aged at all, but they are now in modern times. Yes, and hopefully we get to see all of uh, Philburn and Dr. Hutchison's kids as well, who are, who are great. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize that the guy who created the show is the voice of uh, Ralph Bighead, which makes the Wacky Deli yeah. episode even more yeah, relevant. He's, yes, he basically plays a, a cartoon frog version of himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's he the, the quote that I read was from him, and he's coming back, and he, they talked about everyone that's coming back. All the original voice cast will be back. So very excited about uh, Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling, which is coming out next year. Um, what other... Nude business did I find? I want to share something that I forgot to mention last week, a crucial bit of 90s nostalgia news. It's not specifically Nickelodeon. Oh, please do. And I, I totally overlooked this last week. For the past two weeks, I have been eating nothing. Oh, yeah, I know what Oreo O's. Yep, Oreo O's. I saw your Instagram picture. And you know what? I went to Target and tried to buy <laughs> some, and they didn't have them. They're only at Walmart. That's crazy. And I don't like shopping at Walmart, but I'll make that sacrifice to get my my precious Oreo O's. They're my favorite cereal as a kid. More than cinnamon toast. I am not exaggerating. I'm not saying that is not uh, that is not hyperbole. I loved Oreo O's as a kid, and it broke my heart when they went away. I assumed I'd never eat them again, uh, but Post has brought them back. They are exclusive to Walmart, like I just said, and they come in enormous double-sized boxes, so you'll never run out. <laughs> uh, I never had Oreo O's. I've literally never eaten them. I can't imagine them being better than Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which I think is not just one of the best it cereals, is. but maybe one of the best foods a person can have. You can you can eat those any time of day, and they are delicious. I put them on ice cream. Eli, do you like Oreos? Of course I like Oreos. I love Oreos. Okay, good. All right, well, throw away all your other cereal and go buy several boxes of Oreos. Once you taste them, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is going to taste like fucking poop. <laughs> That's the laziest Compared toast. to Oreos. <laughs> well, I don't know if I want that, since Cinnamon Toast Crunch isn't going anywhere. What, are you saying they might discontinue Oreos again? Oh, no, I'm sure they won't do that. They better not. I'm sure we have nothing to worry about. I'm sure this licensing agreement will last forever. 
a thousand thousand years. Yeah. I'll go buy another dozen or so boxes just in case. Yeah. When you say a dozen or so boxes, do you mean a dozen or so double wide boxes or six? No, double I mean wides? the boxes that the actual cereal boxes come in. The enormous okay. like uh, wholesale you're gonna, cardboard. You're going boxes. to buy a pallet of them. Right. The other bit of '90s nostalgia news I wanted to touch on very quickly that I feel like we're obligated to mention at least in passing was the announcement of the fuck. What do you call it? The Super Nintendo Classic. The SNES Classic. Yeah, yeah, the Mini. The Super Nintendo right. Mini, basically. Uh, Nintendo announced that they are releasing another tiny uh, all-in-one console. This one based on the Super Nintendo, which is my favorite console and was you know, definitive of the 1990s, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, containing 21 games, including one that's never been released. Yeah. Star Fox 2. And I don't care about that game. Did you play Star Fox one? I never played the original. I played the N64 one briefly, but I, I never cared about Star Fox. Yeah, the 64 one was the first one that I ever played. But this is also going to include my favorite game, which is Mario RPG, along with all your other standard Super Nintendo classics, your Donkey Kong Countries, your Yoshi's, I- your Yoshi's Islands, good stuff. Not Chrono Trigger. Not Chrono Trigger, that was a glaring omission. But it does have Final Fantasy three, so I guess they were only permitted yeah. two Squaresoft games. You only get so many. But yeah, look, really looking forward to that. That's all the 90s nostalgia news I had. But yeah, a good week, a good couple weeks for '90s nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, very good. And uh, and now we get to dive into, thankfully, a really good episode of "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Right? Oh yes. Uh, say what you All will right. about Stig, but when when it's his time, when it's his turn at bat, he delivers. Man, the dirty man, he can tell a story. Yes, let's talk a bit about the tale of Station 109.1. This episode originally aired November 11th, 1995. Two days before my birthday. Make a note of that, listeners. Yeah. Uh, And it was written by Scott Peters and directed by, who else? The one and only Ron Oliver. His first episode of Season 5. And, man, you know, a lot of people are going to be coming back uh, for the two final seasons of the show. But we are quickly approaching the final Ron Oliver episode. Don't say any lie. Saying it makes it more true. When when we rolled into season four, we pointed out, hey, this is Frank's last season. Yeah. You know, on his first episode, we said, this is the beginning of the end of Frank. And I'm just going to say right now, we are heading towards the end of the Ron Oliver era. Not to speak out of turn here, but like, season five is the last time we'll see Ron Oliver direct. It's the last time we'll see DJ direct. Yeah. It's the last time we'll see, I think... A handful of other uh, old hands on the show. In Not the to mention, chair. we're going to have to do a special goodbye for like, what, four out of five members of the Midnight Society? Shh! Don't spoil it yet. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, but yes, we are quickly approaching the end of the Ron Oliver era of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And this is the first episode he directs this season, his final season. And let's dive right in. Yeah, we start at the Midnight Society, and of course, all eyes are on Stig. And Stig's eyes are behind the blindfold again. Which, of course, he complains about. This blindfold thing's getting old. He pulls it off, and uh, even just being in proximity to this blindfold that was around his face disgusts all the other members of the Midnight Society. Burn it. Oh, bury it. We don't want any toxic fumes. They're like, ew, burn it. And I really hope that they were going to throw it in the fire instead of the midnight dust. Missed opportunity. (laughs) And it still bursts up like the midnight dust. (laughs) Camera cuts to a very wide shot of, like, the forest and you see a column of flame. And then it cuts back. Skeletons around the fire. (laughs) Yes. 
Except for Stig, who is flame retardant. He's just covered in soot. <laughs> anyway, it's Stig's second chance to tell a story. He is not one over anyone else in the Midnight Society other than Tucker. They're all still disgusted by him. They're all ready to get this over Which with. Which is totally unfair, right? Like, we've talked about the fact that Stig tells great stories, but also, Stig does a really wonderful job here of bringing a prop and tying everything together and doing a great intro. Yeah, to be fair, as much of a personal bias as I've had against Stig, his his intro actually does tie into the story. He has brought with him no fewer than six portable boomboxes. Yeah. So what do we need these things for anyway? For a demo. Everyone tune to your favorite station. When I say go, turn them on. The results of this are exactly what you would expect. A whole lot of, like, instrumental stock music. A whole lot of generic 90s, like... Guitar solos. Really, why he asked them to do this, I'm not quite sure, because I don't know what it accomplished. Well, and they ask him that, too. Every second, every day, there are tons of invisible radio signals flying all around us. And what if you run into something that you weren't supposed to? Something that wasn't meant for you? Something that was meant for the dead? We get an amazing music cue when he says this. Man, the music cue here is insane. Jeff Fisher is working overtime with this episode. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> this kicks off Stig's story, the tale of Station 109.1. Right off the bat, you know what kind of episode this is going to be, because this first scene is ridiculous. We, put on, we appear to open on a shot of a dead child. Yeah, the camera pans past a bunch of, uh, like, orchids and other types of flowers and candles, and then we see the body of a young man uh, in a suit, laying with his arms crossed on his chest, and he's got his head up on a pillow. Prepared for death. Prepared for death, yeah. And uh, then his mom comes into the room and tells him to come downstairs. Yeah, this is our first young protagonist, whose name is Chris, and he rises from his... I mean, they, the, o the only way this could have been more over the top is if he had been sleeping in a coffin. Yeah, yeah. He sits up and goes downstairs to join his family. Before we even go any further, I, I already have a lot of questions here. Yep. Chris has outfitted his room to look like a funeral parlor, mm -hmm. so he can pretend to be dead. Yep. He is a morbid child. Okay, fine, whatever. Scary show, I can accept that. Who's buying all this stuff for him? Like, who's buying these flowers? These fresh flowers. And, like, this sash that says... Bon voyage. Uh, bon voyage. Yeah, it's like a funeral wreath that says Bon Voyage. Are his parents, like, indulging him? Enabling this? Yeah, I don't know. This is one of those things where Ron, when Ron Oliver creates a scene, it's definitely meant to be, like, surreal or romanticized. Like, he's not dealing in real concrete. Realism. Yeah. You step outside of that. Ron Oliver is, is creating a cartoon with live humans in it. You're right. We'll talk about this at the end, but, like, he... He shows just the right amount of, like, restraint and heavy-handedness in this one. Yeah. But yeah, that's how we meet Chris, our, our first young protagonist. And we meet his brother, Ryan Gosling, downstairs at the dinner table. That's right, we meet his brother, Jamie, in what has to be one of his earliest, like, big-time roles. Uh, this scene is a very Nickelodeon scene, because you have a family sitting around the dinner table, and Chris, the kid we're supposed to relate to, I guess, is, like, lamenting the, the bland and kind of gross food. Like, he's... He slops his fork down into a stack of mashed potatoes, and then he picks up he asked, a shrimp. No, no, don't you you missed the important symbolism of this scene. Either. Well, I'm, I, we're building to that because he picks up this shrimp and looks at it, and says, "I wonder if anyone's ever buried alive." 
I wonder if anyone was ever buried alive. When, like, does he not know that? Yeah, like, we can know that. Yeah, people were buried alive. I laughed really hard at this. And he then <laughs> proceeds to bury his shrimp in his mashed potatoes and mark it with a small cross made out of carrots. <laughs> How quickly did he rush into this goth phase of his? Is this the first time that his family has had to hear him say these things or do this? No, this is a nightly occurrence. <laughs> Every night he asks some weird, morbid Debbie Downer question. You'd think they would stop making mashed potatoes, but... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and just to reinforce that Chris is a complete sociopath, the next thing we see him doing is trapping a bug in a jar to see how long it will live. Yeah, he says, I wonder how long he'll survive in there. And just to show how normal his older brother is, Jamie is hanging out with the local mechanic across the street from their house. Jamie does not share any of his brother's morbid fascinations. Jamie is your average American Joe Sixpack. Yeah, he's, he's just a regular cool dude working on cars and listening to funny radio shows hanging with older kids as one does yeah jamie has had just about enough of his little brother's bullshit while he's over at the auto body shop he hatches a plan because the shop has recently acquired a, a very interesting vehicle yeah it's like an old like almost model t-esque hearse he lets his brother know about this he clues him in he's like i gotta show you something come with me it's night his brother is sitting at his computer which is, like, surrounded by lit candles. And when he tells him that there's a hearse, we very nearly get, uh, like, a classic Ron Oliver zoom in. His brother turns all the way around and stares straight into the camera and goes, No, no way. way! We might as well have gotten a boing sound effect as Chris <laughs> pops a boner. Yeah. Uh, so Jamie holds up the keys, revealing that he has the keys to this hearse. And uh, the two of them sneak down to see it. Chris bolts down the stairs and just throws himself into the hearse. Yeah, Jamie's like, try uh, it out, man, which is super weird. By trying out, Chris lies down, folds his arms over his chest as if he's dead. Here lies Chris Leary, dearly departed. May he rest in peace and ends up getting locked in the hearse by his brother as part of this prank what is chris doing yeah it's not just that he's obsessed with death like that's i don't want to say that's normal but like he is obsessed with the idea of being dead yeah and having his bo like putting his body through the rigors of a funeral burial transportation to the the cemetery all that like i don't know what he's getting out of this but he's way into it yeah and uh jamie has decided he's had enough so like i said he has locked chris in the back of the hearse chris doesn't realize this yet and then we see jamie with a car battery and he basically jump starts the car from the outside this startles chris from his death-like slumber and he starts pounding on the windows trying to get out in a scene that's pretty stupid he has some sort of panic attack in a way that i found a little unbelievable i mean yeah he's he should just be startled by this like it's obvious what happened his brother tricked him and jump scared him he's inside the car surely he could just open the door yeah it's not like he could be locked in i guess it's an old enough car that maybe he could he turns the car off and then after his brother leaves the radio turns itself on from inside the hearse and we see the dial on the uh, display go all the way from the bottom, all the way to the top, past 108, which is the highest number ever. It's the highest number there is. There aren't any higher numbers than 108. We haven't, we haven't discovered anything higher than that yet, but who knows where modern science may take us. But fanciful director Ron Oliver has posited, what if there was a number higher than 108? And that number is 109.1. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. <laughs> the dial moves itself to... 
frequency 109.1 FM. This is 109.1, radio for the dimensionally challenged. And Jamie hears a voice speak out from the, the, from radio land. How would you describe this DJ voice? Old. Would you describe it as, like, a bad Dudley Moore Arthur impression? It, like if Dudley Moore's Ar- Arthur had died while eating, like, a box of sandpaper. <laughs> Or we could just drop in the audio, which sounds like this. Sometimes you miss the chance to step over and need guidance. That's where we come in, friends. There we go. Yeah, so the DJ for for station 109.1 starts saying some vaguely spooky stuff, and we cut to Jamie, who's walking home laughing to himself. I guess he's just going to leave his brother locked in the car overnight. Uh, And Jamie bumps into an old ghost. We need to rewind just a little bit. Uh, and mentioned that the DJ, this ghostly DJ speaking through the hearse, he calls out for his listeners to follow his voice to find the way home. Yeah, that's right. Or to find the way. No, they said the way home. The the old man who is definitely a ghost that Jamie encounters asks him if he knows the way, and Jamie just sort of blows him off and, and carries yeah, out his he's business. like can you help can you help me get home and jamie just kind of laughs at him he's like no nah, fuck off old man and then the guy vanishes into thin air so the next day or i guess chris has gotten out of the hearse because he's trying to listen to station 109.1 he's standing in their kitchen he's got their radio tuned to this fictitious number and he's listening to this fictitious future dudley moore uh talk about dead people and crossing over when Jamie comes in and switches to his radio station and says, I'm going to listen to my two jerk-offs talk on the radio and make fart noises or whatever. Clark and Ryan. Clark and Ryan, yeah. Like, he he cannot shut up about this fucking Clark and Ryan radio show. He watches it at 4 o'clock every afternoon, or listens to it. Older brother Jamie interrupts him. After this, we get a very important moment in the history of Are You Afraid of the Dark, Eli? Oh, man, do we ever. Chris goes to his room, and we get the first instance of a character on this show using the World Wide Web. And, oh my god. I'm going to go to the website he went to, by the way. I'm typing it in right now. Oh, I tried going there. It's It doesn't exist. Yet. If it doesn't exist, then I'm going to... Wait a second. Yeah, it does. It totally exists, man. Wait, what? You typed that shit in wrong. Oh, no. What I mean, what are you finding? Is it is it the exact same 1995 website that he's on? Uh, no, it has been updated, and it now says copyright 2017 North America, Newark Incorp... Net, no, excuse me. Network Incorp... North American Network Incorporated, which sounds completely fake. Whoa. Are you sure you're not the only one who can see oh it, and you're secretly a ghost? Oh, no. This is what I get for going to that fictional number on the dial. <laughs> you tampered in God's domain. <laughs> no, the, his internet browser here is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's all, like, bl- it's solid blue and yellow. Like, there's no white on the screen at all. And the stop icon is not a stop sign. It's just a hand. I mean, this may have been the first web browser. Yeah. So he uh, he's searching for station 109.1 on radiospace.com, and it says, and he's like, no station currently assigned to 109.1, how can that be? But he sees the la- there's an article called Last Known Entry, and that gives him the address for a radio station that used to be at 109.1. So of course he makes his way down there, and he is accosted by a... Uh, old ghosts. By a horde of old ghosts. Yep, they're all trying to get home. They're asking if he can help them get home. They freak him out, so he runs off and he runs inside the station. 
And inside the station, we get uh, a boring-ass old waiting room. Yep, he finds a strange waiting room full of old people wearing green wristbands. They're waiting in line for something. Yeah, a voice keeps calling out numbers, and every time it calls out a number, the old people look at their wristbands, and then one of them will get up and walk through a door at the end. And Chris wants to get to the bottom of this, so he goes to a line of people standing uh, in front of a little wooden window in the wall, walks past the people, and knocks on the little wooden window. And who should answer his knocking but our next very special guest star? Iago the Parrot. Iago the Parrot. It is Gilbert Godfrey. The Affleck duck himself. And, oh my god. Gilbert Godfrey bursts through the windows like he throws the windows open and starts yelling at Chris. You can't breathe. Yeah, Gilbert Godfrey's performance here. I mean, this is him at the height of his power. This is pretty par for the course for him. <laughs> this is the kind of performance that would make Bobcat Goldthwait look at it and go, "Wow, he's trying a little bit too hard, isn't he?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is this is like if Bobcat Goldthwait's performance as the Sandman was a 100, Gilbert Godfrey's is at least a 108, maybe something higher if that's possible. <laughs> Thank you. I worked hard on that one. Uh, he's he's being really fucking funny in this scene. Let's try it together, shall we? Do not knock on the window! But... And the kid's like, I just want to know what this place is. He says, I don't care what you want. Do you see all these people standing behind you? What do you suppose that is? It's a line! And Gilbert Godfrey's like, get in the back of the fucking line. Gilbert Godfrey's character slaps one of these these inexplicable green wrist slap bracelets. Yeah, it's a slap bracelet. Onto Chris's wrist and, te- and tells him in no uncertain terms that he is waiting in line for the next life. Yep. Chris is still confused by all of this. Like, he refuses to acknowledge what's going on. Gilbert tells him to sit on a bench and wait until his number is called. Look, maybe you've got an eternity, but I'm on schedule! And he's like, fuck that. And he bursts through the door back into Gilbert Godfrey's office, and the two of them have sort of a long-winded argument where Gilbert Godfrey says, you're this guy, you were in a hearse, you should have passed over, and you didn't. So now you're going to wait your turn, and we're going to help you pass over. Chris keeps telling him, no, you've made a mistake. You've made a mistake. This is a horrible mistake. As they're having this argument, two druids dressed all in black burst into the room, carrying an old man by his arms as he screams, No, you're mistaken. I'm not supposed to go. No, you made a mistake. You're the wrong man. The druids throw open two enormous, jagged-looking doors. Jagged or wavy. And there's just, like, bright, white, ethereal light beaming out from them. They throw him through the doors into the white light, and he screams, and they slam the doors behind him. These doors are absolutely fascinating. They're tall, black doors, and they, I mean, they look like something I would have studied in art history, and I've forgotten all of the details of now, but they're, they're like the doors of a church, like a gothic church. They have all of these like faces, like angry faces and weird sculptures and everything just like carved into them. It's a very imposing scene to be what to watch this old man thrown through these doors by these two shrouded figures. It's yeah, it's a really awesome visual, especially having these stylized doors in this otherwise completely boring uh, waiting room. Yeah, I mean, this looks like a, a courthouse. Oh, we should mention. As the old man is being thrown through the doors, Gilbert leans into Chris and says, He led a nasty life, and he's going to lead a much nastier afterlife. 
implying that this is canonically a man who got sent straight to hell. Yep, we called it. So going to be with uh, the lonely ghost and nanny and all the other the frozen ghosts, uh, the jagged ghost, ghost with unfinished business. Realizing what the stakes are, Chris bolts out of the building. Gilbert Godfrey cackles maniacally to himself, and we get our first commercial break. This just in: a new development in the Oreo O's and milk crisis. A summer celebration of red, white, and blue on every Oreo O. For expert analysis, we go to Scott. Chris has tried to get Jamie to help him because obviously, like, trouble is afoot. He screams at Jamie, tries to get his attention. He thinks Jamie's just being a dick and ignoring him. But no, it turns out that Jamie can't see or hear him. (laughs) When When this happens and Chris has this revelation, we get some of the worst acting ever from Chris. You can't see me. It's this thing. I'm not moving. I'm not gonna go. I'm staying right here. Mom! <laughs> he's trying to Macaulay Culkin it up, and Macaulay Culkin, he is not. He uh he runs through these doors to go find his mom, but when he steps through them, it's sort of like a PT kind of situation. He ends up running through the door in his kitchen back into station 109. Chris confronts the deep we should mention Gilbert Godfrey's character. His name is DJ Roy. Chris yeah. confronts DJ Roy in the DJ booth. We get some more uh, amusing banter from Kilbert Godfrey here. You can't come in here unless you're in the union. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris watches Gilbert Godfrey sit down at a very vintage, like maybe 1930s looking radio setup. And uh, Gilbert Godfrey does a really impressive job here. An on-air light comes on. He leans into the mic and we hear him do... The Dudley Moore voice. We're on the air live, so to speak. This is Station 109.1. Radio for the Dimensionally Challenged. He reads this copy about the radio station being uh, a way for lost souls to find their way over to the other side. As this is happening, Chris hatches a plane. He commandeers the, the radio booth. And starts blasting out the frequency on whatever station he knows his brother is listening to. He interrupts the Clark and Ryan show. Which, like, you worked in radio, and I've sort of tinkered in radio. If you have a radio antenna set up, you can't do that, right? You can't just have your station start broadcasting on a different frequency, can you? No. Not not that I'm aware of, no. But, I mean, we're dealing with supernatural phenomena here, so. True, yeah. Also, the Clark and Ryan show, when we finally hear it, it sounds so fucking stupid. Yeah, it's like, hey, I'm Clark. Hey, I'm Ryan. It's the Clark and Ryan show. Hey, Clark. Hey, Ryan. Jamie is listening to this radio show, happy as a clam, listens to these jackasses, and then hears his brother's voice come over the radio. Jamie disregards this. Apparently, it's not a pressing issue. He thinks it's a prank. But no sooner does this happen than he's visited by... The ghost from the beginning of the episode who just pops into existence and asks Jamie if he knows the way. Yeah, the one that looks like an old version of Roger from uh, Mad Men. That ghost reappears and he's like, can you please help me? And he's like, sorry, old man. And he also, I guess, thinks this is a part of the joke because he like laughs it off. But everywhere he goes, this ghost keeps appearing. Finally, Jamie is convinced that, yes, he needs to help this person. Lives are at stake. So they spring into action. Meanwhile, back at the station, Chris is running around. He's trying to escape before his number is called. We see the Black Druids pop out of nowhere trying to catch him. Kind of scary. Gilbert Godfrey says, like, screw the number system. 
you pissed me off, kid. You're gonna go now. Finally, Jamie and the ghost man arrive just in the nick of time because they call Chris's number and he's dragged into the room by the druids. And you assume they're going to, like, find some way to stop this all from happening. You know, Jamie and Chris and the old man are all saying, don't throw him through those doors. He's not dead. This is a mistake. Gilbert Godfrey is not hearing any of it. I loved his line here, by the way. I'm sorry, no cutting in line. But Jamie and this old man burst in. You think they're going to save Chris, but no, like you were saying, they're too late. The druids throw open the doors and they just cast Chris into the white light. Yeah, he vanishes. He goes to the other side, crosses over. And when he does, the earth quakes. Gee, he's never done that before. I guess this is a an almost literal, like, deus ex machina, because this conflict, rather than being resolved by his brother and the ghost friend, or by himself, is solved by God. The doors throw themselves back open, and Chris flies out. Like he's being grabbed by the back of his shirt collar and the back of his pants, and heaved like a battering ram. <laughs> he flies back into the waiting room. And the doors shut behind him. Chris tells them they let me come back. They realized I wasn't dead yet. And he says, and they want to speak to you. And Gilbert Godfrey goes, oh, great. There goes my pension. Instead, the old man steps through the doors. As he does so, like an angelic choir plays him through. Yeah, Chris looks at Gilbert Godfrey and says, why would he want to go through there? And Gilbert says, it's only horrible if you've led a bad life. Let a good life, it's the best thing going. And so he walks through the doors. Straight, <laughs> straight to heaven. For the first time in Are You Afraid of the Dark History. <laughs> we don't know that. <laughs> I mean, he literally, we see him walk up a white flight of stairs. <laughs> so after this, we dissolve to, I guess, the next day or sometime later. We see that Chris is no longer a morbid fuck. <laughs> He's not wearing his funeral clothes. He's now an all-American kid, or I guess the Canadian kid. That's still kid, American. Whatever. He's wearing normal clothes. He's got a baseball cap. He's going to play some baseball with his older brother. And the last thing he does is let that grasshopper out of a jar. Even though I'm sure by now it's long dead. You see it actually moving around, so... Okay. Oh, good. I guess that's its ghost. And that's the end of the story. Stick finishes, says that, oh, if, if this doesn't work, then I don't know, then I've got nothing for you. And uh, Gary assures him that they're all going to be fair, and they huddle up, and they whisper, and they debate. Stig nearly blows it again! <laughs> During the huddle, he starts blasting generic metal music from his boombox. Yeah, and Gary gives him a stink face, so he stops. They all turn around and say, You're in! Yep, Stig finally makes it in, and he celebrates and hugs Sam, and Sam goes and takes a chemical shower. He kind of, like, chases all of the women off, and Gary says, (laughs) If he keeps causing trouble, I'll throw you both out, and Tucker chases after Stig. And and Stig and Tucker are just beside themselves. They're so happy. We finally have a new member of the Midnight Society. And like you said last week, I can't wait for all the awesome story possibilities that this is going to create. I can't wait for all the 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 dozens of tales we're going to have from Stig. We never hear him tell another story again. Rock an awesome theme song. Rock an awesome theme song. <laughs> And that was, unfortunately, Stig's last story. As we mentioned last week, he only gets two. Well, at least he went out on a high note. I mean, he may—he has the best track record of any Midnight Society member on the show. Yeah, you really can't ask for anything better than that, so good job, Stig. And he redeemed Scott Peters, if you ask me. Yeah, he did. 
If you can't tell from what we've said already, we both really like this episode. And it's hard not to. It's hard not to like a Ron Oliver episode. I think he shows just the right amount of of restraint. I don't want to say there's restraint here, but this is not over the top in the way that like Tale of the Ghastly Grinner was. It's a. It's more fun than um, the tale of the water demons. But it's not yeah. as hammy as the tale of the full moon or the tale of the ghastly grinner. Lots of fun, hammy stuff. A few, I'll talk about this when we ask the question, but like some creepy elements to it. And of course, uh, the, the whole thing is anchored by Gilbert Gottfried. Before we get to the question, I want to go over some sort of weird stuff that I determined while uh, waiting for you to get home. Okay. The old man that plays the ghost is an actor by the name of Dennis St. John. If you go to his IMDb page and you look at the known for section, he's known for The Aviator and The 300. Who did he play in 300? He played the guy who determines whether or not Spartan babies should be thrown off of a cliff. That's metal as fuck. (laughs) Now, that's on its own kind of weird, but what actually makes this weird is that the guy who played the mechanic, Jason Cavalier was also in both of those movies. Weird. And he was also in the X-Men Days of Future Past with the refrigerator delivery guy from The Tale of the Nightly Neighbors. No way. And next season, there is another actor who was in The 300 and X-Men Days of Future Past. So all of these movies, like, there's got to be a lot of film production, like, extras They must in Quebec. They must all be going through the same casting agency yeah. or something. The, the actor that plays Chris in this is in an episode of Goosebumps. So is Ryan Gosling. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Dare I ask so, what episode of Goosebumps he's in? Uh, he's in Calling All Creeps, if I'm not mistaken. I assume that has no thematic connection to this episode. No, we, we have no reason to watch Calling All Creeps. Yeah, it's like, a, it's a phone number that if you call it, these weird monsters show up, I think. I remember the book cover. It had these, like, purple velociraptors all crowded in a phone booth, and they're all wearing cool kid clothes. Yeah, there's super weird connections between all of these actors. Uh, the one who played the mechanic, <laughs> the funniest thing that I found is Jason Cavalier. I assume that's how you pronounce his last name. I'm sorry, I don't know. Uh, the one who played the mechanic and is also in The Aviator and The 300, uh, his most, one of his most recent acting credits is uh, for the short film Batman, Son of Gotham, where he plays Batman. And I thought, wow, that's kind of amazing. This guy's playing Batman. I'll look that up. It is a uh, short film on Indiegogo. Oh, no. <laughs> that raised... Of its $17,500 flexible goal, it raised 55 U.S. dollars. <laughs> <laughs> is that all it took to hire this guy? And it is closed. It did not make. That's just a shame. We we should have... If only we could have given it some promotion. Had we had we but known. Um, had yeah. we but known. So that is... That's uh, where my little rabbit hole ends, is with Batman, Son of Gotham. On that tragic note, let's let's do what we came here to do. Dykus, you scared of this? I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to explain why. Uh, I actually kind of remember this episode a little bit from, from childhood, once I saw it. 
I was scared of this as a kid because this is the first episode I think we've seen, even though we always joke about the characters going to hell, this is the first episode I think we've seen that deals with the afterlife. I mean, like, the physical space of the afterlife, I think you're absolutely right. And there's something, obviously this episode is played largely for laughs, but, like, there is something kind of scary about two druids clad in black literally dragging you to hell. Yeah, I mean, all of the old people are screaming. They are terrified. And they're being dragged by these two druids through these terrifying doors. Like, not to get too into, like, anyone's personal religious beliefs, but, like, when you're a kid, the the possibility of going to hell is a much more, like, I guess for me, at least, it felt like a much more real, visceral threat. And to, so, so to see these, like, these people be dragged kicking and screaming through the door to the afterlife, that was kind of scary. And the druids themselves are kind of scary. They're all dressed in black and they're spooky. They're, like, the people who would... Accompany the Undertaker to the ring. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm on the record as being terrified of people in death shrouds, so didn't like those guys at all. But, Eli, were you scared of this? Yeah, and for all of the same reasons that you mentioned. Once again, another winner for Season 5. It's already looking like a, a big step up from Season 4. Hopefully we can continue that trend next week. Yeah, with the tale of the mystical mirror. Um, so we'll have that to look forward to next week. Until then, if you want to catch up with us, we are on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash youscaredofthis, and on Twitter, at youscaredofthis. On Facebook this week, we actually got a pretty cool share from my friend Michael, a link to the uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark video game. Yes, the uh, the PC game from the mid-90s. Oh, I cannot wait to play this. So that's the sort of stuff that happens on Facebook. On Twitter this week, I took the liberty of asking DJ Mikhail, Ron Oliver, and even our friend Jose Prendez if any of them knew what the official canonical name for the Stone Throne was. Did they respond? DJ responded, I think, the same day, yeah. What did what did the man himself say? Turns out I learned on Twitter that the uh, Stone Throne is actually called the Storyteller's Chair. So follow us on Twitter, uh. and occasionally you'll find out interesting facts like that. I don't know why it took me so long to ask. Thanks, DJ. Thanks. Uh, so we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. You can listen to our back catalog on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash youscaredofthis. Uh, and don't forget to give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, that always helps people find the show, and we appreciate it. So with all of that out of the way, I hereby declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. Now, now go get your creative Oreo O's.